Hello, you're listening to KPMG's Energy Exchange podcast, a podcast where we explore the path to Ireland's exciting energy future. We discuss the practical things that we can do to unlock the full potential of Ireland as a major energy producer. I'm Colm O'Neill, and today I'm joined by two of my partners, Michelle Connolly and Russell Smith. Michelle leads our corporate finance team and is also EMA Head of Infrastructure, and Russell leads our Sustainable Futures team and probably fair to say been involved in every major renewables transaction that's happened in Ireland in the last three years. So um, you're both very welcome. Great to have you here. And and maybe start with you, Russell, because the shift to renewables, it's been going on for some time, but it does feel like in the last, almost in the last month or so, there's been a, a big uptick in activity and a big um, a big move towards that renewables future. Yeah, like renewables in Ireland has been one of our big success stories. Yeah, we started really from a standing start in the 1990s and, you know, today we've nearly five gigawatts of of, uh, of operational install capacity across wind and solar, etc. Um, the driver and the momentum is, is real, without question. It's driven really by a number of factors. First one being policy. Yeah. So EU is clearly a, a leader in, in the 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 area uh, setting an ambition for net zero by 2050 and that's you know permeating through the member states ireland itself has set fairly robust targets for renewables you know 51 percent decarbonization uh, by 2030 and net zero by 2050 as well and and renewables is certainly seen as probably the building block for that decarbonization uh, strategy one of the other drivers though which is probably the, the somewhat more recent one is is economic um, you know, renewables always relied on subsidy and it was driven by rounds and rounds of, of policy and subsidy support. What's happened now is that renewables has matured to a point where it's now the single cheapest form of new generation. Um, studies have shown it's around 40% cheaper um, on average than new gas power stations. Mm-hmm. So it just makes economic sense now to deploy renewables over um, over fossil generation. Is that cheaper to build, cheaper to run? What's what, what is that? What are the economics of that? Yeah, so it's you know it's looked at on a whole of life cycle. So you know the the operational running costs of, of wind is is nearly zero. Uh, the marginal cost of operation is nearly zero. So so that you know free resource. Um, so once you build the infrastructure, you get the benefit of that free resource. And you look at what's called the levelized cost of energy. The whole uh, cost you know around forty percent cheaper. Some of the offshore. Um, Tariffs that have been uh, bid in the in GB market have been quantums cheaper. Um, so again, just depending on maturity of location, the technology, you know, it, it's just a, a bit of a no-brainer. And then, you know, coupled with the acceleration in carbon taxes, you know, forty-eight fifty in Ireland going to mm. nearly a hundred in in the, some of the EU uh, carbon bases, you know, that differential is just going to get uh, stronger. Um, and then the final component I would say is is demand. So. We have real tangible demand coming from industry. Um, you know, we work with a lot of big industrials. They've committed to their net zero targets. They're not interested in fossil generation. They want to buy renewables from the grid, but they also want their own generation coming from renewables. So you have this perfect storm of policy, demand, and economics. And what's dri- what's driving that shift by businesses? Because obviously there's the there's the cost element of it, but but is there anything else driving that? I like I think. You know, the direction of travel has been set by policymakers. So, you know, they've made it very clear. To date, policy hasn't really bitten as being the the reason why companies have, have gone. The legislation hasn't really forced what it has set the direction of travel. And then it's been a lot of of voluntary movement in, in yeah. to get in, in front of this legislative drive. 
Um, and so what we're seeing, probably the single biggest driver at the moment is large corporates making commitments and pushing that through their supply chain. Um, and so it's businesses that know that, 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 that policy and reporting is coming. Um, they're, if they want to continue to supply and be um, an attractive uh, part of the supply chain, they've got to start the decarbonization journey. And so that's permeating through all levels. We've got CSRD, which is the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive, kicks in next year. Yeah. That's the first real legislative driver that's going to bite. Yeah. Um, and that's going to be mandatory for about 49,000 firms across Europe. Um, and when that comes in, you know, it's just going to accelerate it further. And that's where targets become objectives. So you, you, can, you can no longer just make a statement around a notional target in the future. You're going to be measured on how you're delivering. You're going to be measured and you're going to be audited. You know, at the moment you can say we reduced our carbon emissions by 12% last year. And to be honest, it's pretty vague. Yeah. Um, going forward, that's going to have to have assurance. You're going to have to have a third party yeah. that is going to actually verify that. And again, that moves from this voluntary to mandatory. Yeah. Um, and again, we'll, we'll, we'll change a lot of things. So it's economically viable now. And then uh, coupled with that, policy is turning into not just targets, but actual measurable, auditable um, kind of reporting that you're going have to have to have to complete. Correct. So I, I guess, Michelle, maybe to, to bring you into the conversation, um, it was all very well to have the desire to get there and that for it to be economically um, viable and so on but you know when you consider the scale of infrastructure that's going to have to be created whether that's the renewable generation that's going to have to be created whether it's the grid that's going to have to be built you know it's it's literally billions of euro is going to need to be spent and you know historically here in Ireland we haven't been brilliant at getting projects delivered in that um, in that regard can you maybe give us some kind of reflection on your experience of large infrastructure projects on what we maybe need to do differently for this? I think it depends whether you're talking about the mega scale infrastructure project or just a normal large infrastructure project. That some of the ones that we're talking about here, they do fall into the category of mega projects. Ireland doesn't have uh, a big tradition of doing that. Yeah, uh, We haven't been involved. We haven't done things at that scale before. Uh, so it is a bit of a learning process. Uh, the commitment from government uh, to actually support and put the money behind it, uh, that pays dividends uh, and is hugely beneficial. But we also need to match that then with the process and procedures to push it through planning, for example. Yeah. Uh, it's a real bottleneck, not just in the area of, of renewables and energy efficiency, but in any aspect of infrastructure building at the minute. We have a real problem and a real challenge. Mm -hmm. Once you get through planning, uh, it's then down to do we have the skills and the experience? Do we have the capacity uh, for the mega projects? Yeah. Uh, and most arms and, uh, of government are now recognizing that we need to bring in additional support and expertise, yeah. whether that's simply to provide uh, additional capacity or to provide the experience of delivering things at a mega scale. Okay. Uh, because a mega scale is not just bigger, it's immeasurably uh, got additional challenges uh, and risks associated with that. Yeah. So there's a huge amount of focus and attention being put on that. And the will is there, uh, but we need the policy and procedures and the bureaucracy uh, to not actually be the impediment along the way. Yeah. But it's not just about the mega projects. You do also have uh, significant numbers of projects uh, within uh, the renewable journey uh, or the decarbonization journey that are smaller. They tend to be the high volume, low value like electric vehicles yeah. uh, and putting in place our electric vehicle uh, charging infrastructure, yeah. which needs to catch up. 
There's a lot of initiatives in place to do that. We just need them to work faster for us. Retrofitting of our housing stock is another one. It's complicated and it's not easy. Uh, and that's why I suppose we want to make sure that anything new build coming along has properly uh, focused on the whole ESG agenda in the first instance. So you're not retrofitting. Yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of those projects that can be underway uh, that maybe don't have the challenges of the mega projects uh, so that we should have uh, dual tracking, uh, targeting all aspects of the economy at the same time. So it's kind of, there. there is that very um, kind of different agenda, which is those mega projects which we've not had experience of, but then, you know, some of those micro projects that again have their own complexity because there's just so many of them. If, if you look at those, those mega projects, what um, what are the things that are different about those that we won't have um, we won't have faced before in the Irish context? Some of the aspects of, of that is some some of it is the technical complexity yeah. uh, because some of these areas are new yeah. uh, and it's also impacting the underlying infrastructure. Where take our grid capacity for example, yeah. uh, they trying to exp- any country trying to expand their grid capacity is a mega project in its own right why you keep all the existing systems and the processes and procedures underway. So they're mega scale of programs. Yeah. Uh, the risks involved are bigger. Uh, so the, the the risk of keeping an existing grid infrastructure in operation at the same time while you're doing things to put additional capacity onto that, yeah. uh, it just brings you into a different territory uh, of risks. Uh, and an awful lot of that is around very, very strong uh, identification uh, and mitigation of risks. But an awful lot of it is very, very strong program management as you're trying to, in effect, keep lots and lots of balls in the air at exactly the same time. Yeah. So it's it's kind of like the the um the the, the challenge is not just a, a you know one of the kind of logistics of a large scale program, but there's some real new technical elements to this that will make it um, also a challenge. There are, and Ireland has a fantastic skills base, uh, and when we when we get on the ground. We build infrastructure very, very well. Yeah. Uh, you wouldn't think it always necessarily uh, when you read the news reports, but we do have a good track record of building infrastructure. Uh, and we have great skills and ability here in Ireland. Uh, when it comes to additional areas of technical complexity, complexity, we've always shown ourselves open in the past uh, to go, if we don't have the, the, the knowledge, knowledge and the know-how, well, let's bring it in from overseas. Yeah. Uh, and bringing it in from overseas also then means then we're upskilling a whole generation of people in Ireland mm-hmm. uh, that have also proven in the past very effective at then taking that knowledge and expertise and the value add and going and exporting it uh, yeah. at a point in time in the future. So this is a higher skill value add uh, skill set that we're bringing in uh, that will have plenty of work involved uh, in the Irish uh, economy for for years to come, yeah. uh, but also a safety valve that uh, other countries will be crying out uh, to get people with this sort of skills and resources uh, into the future as well. Yeah, because you know, this build-out is going to take um, decades. Take decades. It can also provide a great opportunity to try and attract back Irish talent who are working overseas. Yeah. Uh, now, but be aware, I suppose, that at the same time that Ireland is on its decarbonisation journey, so is the rest of the world. Yes. Uh, so anybody who has the skills and expertise uh, in this area is in high demand. And the same goes to the supply chain. Russell already mentioned that, that it's not just do we have the skills and expertise to manage the projects and get them on the ground and construct them, but is our supply chain ready yeah. uh, to both 
support the industry, but also to take advantage of the economic opportunity that's coming down the tracks on it. Yeah. So take, for example, the ports. Uh, it's often talked about about the capacity within our ports to be able to show, to support the offshore developments that are going to take place. Yeah. Uh, there is a significant opportunity there uh, for our ports and the hinterland surrounding them and the supply chain that feed the ports uh, to be the hub to both uh, develop out and, and, and uh, build the turbines, but also then to the operate the maintain yeah. uh, of that offshore capacity going forward into the future. But at the minute, if you uh, looked across each one of the ports in Ireland, we probably have about four or five of them who will all say they're going to be the hub for the development of the offshore industry. And the reality is it needs investment in any of the ports in the Republic of Ireland to be able to de to cope with that. Uh, and they're all competing for that investment. That doesn't make an awful lot of sense. We'd be much better off if we'd identified, if government identified one or two port hubs really invested now to build out that capacity. Because it stands at the minute, we won't have the ability to service the build uh, of those offshores from within Republic of Ireland. We'd probably have to uh, go to Belfast to do that. To do that. Uh, so we need to do it and we need to get that investment now. So like when, when you think about this, there's the there's the investment in the renewable infrastructure, you've then brought it into the um the uh, the investment that have to take place in the grid, the investment through into micro projects as we refit people's houses, developing ports. I mean Russell is a is just an enormous build out of infrastructure, even beyond what you might think in terms of renewables. Where is all the money going to come from? Yeah. So the co the cost of the energy transition globally is 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 going to be massive like it's it's estimated that last year about 1.4 trillion was spent on clean energy investments within an irish context we've estimated that delivering on the climate action plan 21 uh is around 125 billion uh plus uh and that's split across a number of categories so the deployment of electricity grid and renewables is around 35 billion mm -hmm. um the building retrofit and upgrade probably another 35 billion um, and then transports around 50 billion. This is the replacement of, of our, our, our vehicle fleets. So that's an awful lot of, of capital. Yeah. Um, there is a lot of liquidity in the world and there's a lot of investors who want to invest in renewables. So in theory, the money is there. Yeah. The question is, can we attract it into Ireland? Um, Ireland generally has been successful in attracting inward investment, investing in capital. Um, one of the points that Michelle made, you know, which is very relevant, the entire world is looking to decarbonize yeah. at the same time. And so we're competing for resources. We're re competing for capital against a lot of jurisdictions. And the question is, how do we ensure that Ireland is seen as an attractive destination? We run a lot of, of, uh, uh, of processes, um, investment processes in Ireland and even over the last year, we've run processes that are bringing the likes of Orsted, the world's largest investor in of offshore into Ireland, uh, the likes of Neon, a, a, a French investor, um, EDF. Uh, you know, so there's a lot of, of international companies are coming into Ireland um, and they'll be able to bring capital uh, and resources. The question, though, is will that competition get tighter over time or will it be harder and harder to support? So it's about the Irish government ensuring we have an ecosystem that is attractive to these um, investors coming in and we're able to mobilize that global funding as Ireland on its own there's no way it will be able to fund uh, the infrastructure and what's what's the impact Russell of 
government policy on people's investment decisions? Yeah, like ultimately, uh, investors will look at the macro environment and that macro environment is quite often driven by the policy environment that is being created by, by government. What investors want primarily is visibility and consistency. So they don't want policy surprises. Mm -hmm. So, you know, our single biggest ask when we speak to government is give forward-looking policy guidance and be consistent and have no surprises. Mm -hmm. You know, at a recent example, actually, of, of what my, I believe was a policy misstep was in offshore and how they're treating what's called the phase two, the second wave of offshore in Ireland. While the policy decision that's been taken, which is really a, you know, a, a government-led identification of sites, is probably the right decision. Yeah. That policy was left ambiguous for quite a few years. You know, we had over 70 projects being developed on the back of policy vacuum. Mm -hmm. um, when the government have now come out and clarified it, you know, people have said, right, okay, we'll react. A lot have reacted badly though, and I think it has caused some consternation amongst investors. I suspect we will lose investors who are looking at Ireland. Yeah. If that policy guidance had been given earlier, it would have probably wasted a lot of investment that's maybe was misdirected, yeah. um, but would have given people confidence that Ireland does not have policy surprises. So sometimes it's not just the policy, but it's the, both the timing and how it's communicated can, can have the impact. I suppose, um, Michelle, you have a lot of experience of working with government in the area of infrastructure and how they create an environment that's conducive to investment. What, what's your thoughts on what we need to do as a, as a country to kind of create that environment that's, that's really positive for investment in the renewable space? A big part of it is making sure that government uh, and the government officials are talking to and listening to the private sector. Mm. Uh, that there's always room for more to be done there. Uh, that at times there's a tendency to say, well, if we make available a process or make available funding, they will come. Uh, but actually you need to reach out and be talking to the market all the time and to recognize that Ireland's competing on a global scale to get the attention of these. That what international investment, whether it is the funders coming in or the people that are actually going to build uh, any of this uh, capacity that we need, what they love to see is certainty of here's the timeline, here's the program, and that you match that certainty with delivery so that they know if they're coming in to set up a base in Ireland uh, that there is going to be a program of projects that is going to go roughly to time, not to the exact day, but I would often say to government, at least tell people if it's going to be 2023 or 2024, or ideally if it's going to be half one or half to half two uh, of the year, uh, so that people can see it's worth their while setting up, establishing an operation, uh, bringing in and onboarding people uh, and can get that certainty. Yeah. Uh, that's that's a big, big part of it for the international community. Yeah, so certainty is, is so important. And you, and you can understand what the challenge is for them because uh, all of these decisions are so political and you know people are quite dogmatic, in particular in the uh, energy and renewable space on what the solution should be. So it is a difficult environment for them, but giving that certainty of timeline and when decisions will be made is so important. It, it is. Uh, and then following through, uh, so you can, you know, once you've got the certainty of here's the decision, actually making sure that a project runs to time and that's where the planning system uh, will come back uh, again. Uh, and government have done a lot and, and made a lot of improvements to try and make sure that they're removing blockages in the system. And given the political will that's there, uh, they're not intentional blockages, 
Uh, but sometimes it can just be blockages in process, in procedure, in bureaucracy. Yeah. And, and in a way, a number of years ago, there would have been a big push to say, well, we needed additional governance uh, over projects, which is excellent and it is absolutely needed. Uh, but you can't then let the bureaucracy and the governance impede projects uh, such that uh, projects fall away and level of interest fall away. You've got to get a balance and it's all about getting a balance. And at the minute, the pendulum's probably swinging too far uh, towards the emphasis on, on process, procedure, bureaucracy. And we needed to swing a little bit the other way to say, yes, but we've got to have uh, delivery uh, and we've got to have projects pushing ahead at the same time. Yeah. And, and I guess, Russell, we've, we've now, like, uh, as Michelle's saying there, you know, moving from a position where, you know, you have, you've got to get some of those processes and procedures in place, but ultimately you've got to start building. And like the scale of the prize for us here in Ireland, it is quite staggering if we were to build what the capacity is. Could you maybe just give a sense of of what that opportunity looks like? Yeah, like like ultimately, you know, the scale of deployment um, over the last twenty five years, we've deployed about five gigawatts of of renewables. Even between now and twenty thirty, we're looking to deploy more than twice that. Yeah. Um, so there's a big level of, of deployment. What are the benefits that that you know can bring to to the country and to society? So you know, one we've said that that the economics of renewables, you know, in theory, will drive cheaper energy. Mm -hmm. um, so there's definitely you know a, a benefit from an economics perspective. The second one is you know there will be um, benefits for the country from a from just a sustainability perspective. You yeah. know, at the moment, I think it's eighty four percent of all our energy comes from from fossils. Um, and, you know, that is causing air pollution. It's, you know, causing uh, various forms of pollution. So I think we will have a cleaner and a, a safer environment. We're also very, very heavily dependent on imports. You know, so we don't have energy security. We are, and we saw through the Ukraine crisis, we are just subject to the vagaries of, of global energy price movements. You know, the vision here, can Ireland get to a point where it is increasingly energy self-sufficient? Um, it's able to decouple itself from from that uh, those movements, and I think that again would provide a much more stable footing uh, for the country. But even I think the opportunity goes beyond that. So offshore is probably you know the most exciting opportunity. So Ireland has a fabulous resource. It has a fabulously um, broad coastline, mm -hmm. and if we were to deploy what we need to service Ireland, but then go beyond that. We have an opportunity where we could actually deploy enough offshore wind that we could be exporting 90% of our generation and we could become a net exporter of renewable energy. I think you've maybe seen recently uh, a, an agreement signed between Germany and Ireland yeah. you know, about the potential for exporting some of this energy. And that's not just electricity cables carrying um, uh, three interconnectors, it's turning it into other forms. So it's turning that surplus electricity into green ammonia, which allows us to ship it further and wider. It's turning it into green aviation fuel. So could we actually decarbonize Ireland's aviation um, base on the back of the green surplus electricity from offshore yeah. wind? Um, could we use the green ammonia to decarbonize agriculture by displacing chemical fertilizers? Mm -hmm. So there's a huge resource. Um, I think we need to obviously focus on getting what we need to service domestically, but even beyond that, Ireland could become an international exporter of green energy, and that's going to be a very 
valuable commodity. And of course, the reason Germany are signing that agreement with um, with Ireland is to to service their industrial base. And and there's no reason why with that level of energy generation we couldn't build our own industrial base here locally, which again will be a further benefit to the economy. Yeah, we deal with an awful lot of large corporates in Ireland. A lot of the uh, the you know the the international multinationals that have have based here, and you know as we spoke about earlier, they have made commitments that they have to be, you know, net zero by you know twenty thirty five forty whatever their own commitment. They will only invest in a jurisdiction if it has an environment and a policy and the infrastructure that allows them to meet those ambitions. Because if they don't, they will be unable to sell products made in Ireland. Yeah. So um, I think it's, first of all, it's a, probably a necessity to continue to attract inward investment. But if we can demonstrate that we have an ecosystem that will allow faster decarbonization than, uh, than competitors, it will give Ireland another you know, uh, tool in its armory of, yeah. of attracting, attracting inward investment. And as, as you say, as those companies are starting to make decisions, these are, these are 10, 15 year time horizon decisions that they make. So we really need to be positioning ourselves now for what could be huge prosperity for the country in, in, in years to come. Correct. Again, uh, Michelle, you've, you've probably been involved in some shape or form in most of the major infrastructure deployments that have taken place. And, and as you say, once they've got through those early stages, we do deploy infrastructure very well in this country. What, what, what do you think are the big learnings from your experience that we should be applying to accelerate into what could be a very prosperous future for, for Ireland as a, as a renewable energy centre. Well, once, once we get on the ground uh, with a piece of, of major infrastructure, we do have a good track record. Uh, we, have, we have a bad track record in casting the projects at the outset, uh, and we have a bad track record in, in particular of making sure we've properly casted out what's the risk and contingency that's needed on projects. Uh, so you'll often see something in the paper of a, a project has uh, encountered massive cost overruns and there hasn't even been a spade put in the ground. That's not a cost overrun. That's bad casting in the first place. So we kind of need to get a bit, get real about that. Yeah. And government's made big efforts now to make sure that we properly put a proper price tag on a project and then measure against that. So, you, so you've got a good yardstick in the first place. Yeah. We've also had a tendency to have a poor form of contracting uh, with the private sector, uh, where we always talk about risk transfer. Well, trying to push all of the risk across to the private sector party doesn't necessarily incentivize a behavior on site, which is problem solving. And that's what you want, where if they put a speed in the ground and the ground isn't what they anticipated, uh, well, then we want the focus to be on solving the problem so the infrastructure goes ahead. Uh, as opposed to have a scrap over uh, whose fault it was. Yeah. Uh, and we need to improve the base of contracting. It's going to apply to all of the projects, mega uh, and minor, uh, where, as we go forward uh, to decarbonize, to make sure we've got a former contract mm. uh, that's fit for purpose, to make sure we've priced the job properly in the first place, allocated proper contingency, and then we have strong and effective management uh, over that uh, as we go along. They're not necessarily rocket science pieces yeah. of it, uh, but they're the practical problems where things go don't go according to plan with the development of infrastructure in Ireland. Yeah, so it's it's, it's common sense, not necessarily common practice. Yes, I agree with that. And um, so you know the the whole theme of the podcast is about exploring you know the path to Ireland's exciting energy future. So um, maybe go and just get um, the two of you to give me a, a final comment on. The one or two things, in a, in, a, in a couple of sentences, the one or two things 
you would change if you could to give us the best chance of achieving that prosperous future? Yeah, I think one piece that I think is important, you know, we've, we've tended even through this conversation, we've focused very much on, on electricity and onshore wind and solar. You know, we're talking about a whole of economy, decarbonization and renewables will be deployed in a, a range of forms. You know, one of the areas that's really exciting at the moment is, is biomethane. So yeah. we've talked about electricity, we've, we're, we've done really well, 40% of our electricity from renewables. If we look at, at thermal, um, less than 5% of our thermal energy yeah. comes. So we do have to take a whole of economy. We have to find technologies that allow us to decarbonize our thermal. The retrofit of houses is an example of, of improving the thermal efficiency of the houses. The deployment of green hydrogen, which we now have a, a two terawatt target deployment of, of biomethane, which is a 5.7 yeah. terawatt hour uh, target. You know, that is going to be essential. So again, make sure we don't focus on just the stuff that's seen as easier or that we have a track record in. Yeah, We have to keep our minds open and have a broad policy that looks at all the levers of change available to decarbonize the whole of economy. And, it, and it's an interesting point because for a subject that's so complex and people often have very simple solutions to it, but it is, a, it's a nuanced um, problem and, and the solutions will be equally nuanced and, and we'll, you know, we'll probably have to do um, a range of things to achieve the objectives that we've set out to achieve. Um, Michelle? Only probably two aspects I'd say and, and, and both potentially in, in, in very different spaces. We need to overhaul the planning system. Uh, and if we were really serious uh, about this and really serious about our decarbonisation journey, uh, well, is there a second wing of onboard Planala or, or its equivalent that should be set up that just deals with energy transition projects? I don't know uh, if that's the right answer, um, but it's we, we need to seriously do something uh, about our planning environment. Otherwise, every project is going to be beset by delays and uncertainties on delivery. Mm -hmm. The other side of it, I'd say, is is we've been saying for, for a long time that energy transition needs to happen because we need to do that for all of the environmental benefits. Uh, but actually, we need to, to also have the focus on energy transition creates a massive economic opportunity for Ireland. Mm -hmm. uh, we keep talking about the fact that we're a small, very vibrant, uh, very strong economy uh, with a young, educated workforce. Uh, and we have a significant opportunity now to become a world leader mm -hmm. uh, or very, very strong in the whole area of energy transition, generating those economic benefits to Ireland, not just in terms of, of, of decreasing our own cost of energy, which would be very welcome, uh, but there's a massive spin-off benefits across our supply chain. Uh, and we're not focused on how do we really harness uh, and get the benefit of that for Ireland. Very good. Really positive conversation. And um, Michelle, Russell, I'd like to thank you both for joining me today on KPMG's Energy Exchange podcast, where we discuss the practical things that we can do to unlock the full potential for Ireland as a major energy producer.